The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome. Today we're calling, we're, we're calling about reducing harmful algal blooms by changing our practices on the land, and in particular how much fertilizer we put on our lawn. So our goal is to have both green grass and clean water and healthy marine life and a good time on the water or shores and stuff. My guests today are two summer interns with the Ocean River Institute. They're here with me in World Headquarters in Harvard Square, uh, Asa Magdens and Sarah Trimble. Hello, Asa. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Uh, Sarah, this is your first week as it is ASUS, so uh, tell us a bit about yourself. So my name is Sarah Trimble. I'm currently studying at Suffolk University. I'm a senior. I'm studying biology with a concentration in marine science, and I'm working on a minor in education studies. And I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be working in beautiful Cambridge this summer. Well, that's a great combination. <laughs> the best thing is to bring the marine life to the, the, the education kids or people you're working with. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or whatever age we're learning at and stuff. Wonderful. Um, Asa, tell us about you. Uh, so I am a senior at Boston College, finishing up this next year, and I'm a Middle Eastern Studies major, so not related, but I've always been interested in environmental issues. Right, and we're finding that those issues are as complicated as a lot of the yeah, um, things one might work with in um, the Middle East, and they're very important in that region as well. And I hear you're off to Martha's Vineyard this week. Yep, I'm going out for the 4th of July. So you're going to take the train after work tomorrow. Yep, take the train and the ferry and from Woods Hole. Yep, and hopefully settle in nice and, nice and quick for a good weekend. Well, I know you've been looking a lot at the vineyard getting ready for this report today. So I'm glad that we've got, we've got local roots put down there in the vineyard. Yep. Um, so nitrogen is the worst pollutant of oceans, and it's, it's the worst because it causes these harmful algal blooms and ocean dead zones and hypoxia areas. So, Asia, what is a harmful algal bloom? So harmful algal blooms are areas of high algae and phytoplankton caused by increased nutrients like nitrogen in the water. And when these large amounts of algae form in parts of the ocean, they diminish the oxygen, and then fish can no longer live there. Yeah, so um, are they big? Uh, they, can, they can be quite large. The biggest one currently around the U.S. is in the Gulf of Mexico, 
and it's over 8,000 square miles, and some say it could even get as large as Texas. I guess that's quite large, yes, yes. And, and what's it look like on the bottom of these places? Well, on the bottom, there can be anything from troves of dead fish to nothing at all because there hasn't been life there from the wild in a while. But on the surface, it can look totally normal and beautiful. So you're on the beach, and it looks fine looking out, but... Um, yeah, you really have to dig down deep to be able to see the, the big problems of the dead zones. Right, and swimmers don't necessarily have to worry unless there's um, toxins released by the algae and stuff, but we don't need the oxygen in the water. That's what tends to harm the fish, I think, is the, no oxygen there. And then um, are they also small? They, uh, they can be any size. There's one in Casco Bay, which isn't even the whole bay, uh, there's a keeper who's following a, a group of striped bass looking for bait fish, and all of a sudden they swam into a dead zone and turned up dead and floated to the surface. So fish can die very quickly in the, yeah, in any size water. So. Oh my gosh! Yes. So again, the keeper didn't see, you know didn't see any difference in the seawater and the the bait fish running away from the predator, and the predator chasing the bait fish, and they all tumbled into this hypoxia, low oxygen area, and um, suffocated, I guess, or turns up dead. Uh, the autopsies haven't come in yet, probably. <laughs> um, so, Sarah, what's causing these harmful algal blooms? Well, they're caused by an increase in harmful nutrients coming off of the land, and one of the big harmful nutrients is nitrogen. Nitrogen is found in septic and sewage, agriculture runoff, and lawn fertilizer, which is what we're looking at today. Right. So the reason we're looking at lawn fertilizer is not because it's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is probably septic and sewage. Yeah. Um, it's, um, but the lawn fertilizer is people are going out and buying the stuff and then shaking it into their lawns, not realizing that it's going right, a lot of it's going into the waterways. That we have found that... Um, that agriculture is over-fertilizing by 100%, which sounds bad. Lawns are being over-fertilized by 500%. And here in the Northeast, it's our habit to fertilize five times a year. So you look at the fertilizer bags, and it says on them, this is the science, you know, fertilize in the spring, Labor Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July weekend, and in the fall. And people believe that if they don't do that, their property values will go down because they'll have dead grass on their hands and stuff. And uh, we don't think that's the case. Uh, what we're advocating today is that people treat their lawns as well as the golf courses do. And by that, I mean that the golf courses know what they're doing and they only feed the lawn, the grass, when it's hungry. They don't let any fertilizer wash away from the lawns because it's a wasted money. Now, they do go overboard with the putting greens, and so we don't want everyone's lawn to look like a putting green to be that fertilized. But uh, in terms of the fairways and stuff, you know, that's a pretty um, legitimate ask, I think. Um, so, Sarah, you've been researching what the states are doing about regulations because, you know, we really need lawn fertilizer ordinances so that people don't have to rely on what's written on the bag that there can be regulations that tell us how to Yep, so I've been looking in the Northeast, and I was able to find lawn fertilizer regulations for Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. 
but I was unable to find any non-commercial fertilizer regulations for Rhode Island. Yeah, and, and so um, how does Massachusetts compare with the others? So all the state laws are pretty similar, uh, all having certain regulations, mostly on the time of the year that fertilizer can be applied to the lawn. They don't want homeowners fertilizing in the winter months when the ground is frozen, which here in the Northeast ranges from October to April. They also prohibit fertilizer use on any impervious surfaces, such as your driveway or street in front of your house. If any fertilizer spills onto these surfaces, you must sweep it up or back onto your lawn so that it doesn't leach into the sewers on your street. Another thing they all have stated is that your fertilizer cannot contain any amount of phosphorus with only a few exceptions. Those exceptions are if you're starting a new lawn or patching or repairing your current lawn. They also have certain setbacks or buffer zones to where you can apply fertilizer in regards to proximity to a water body. It ranges from 5 feet to 25 feet based on state regulations. Another thing they all have in common is that all states prohibit applying fertilizer before, during, or after a heavy rainfall because of how saturated the ground would be. Well, that's interesting. They have these five different, you know, they're worried about, you know, it makes sense when your, your fertilizer gets off your property, especially onto a hard surface, uh, you want to remove it before it gets washed into Yeah, make sure you sweep it back, out, back onto your lawn. And, and then you have the setbacks. Uh, a setback means that you don't fertilize too close. Yeah, to too close to a body of water. So they don't, you know, many states don't, like, mandate you have uh, vegetation between your lawn and the um, waterway. They just say that if your lawn goes down to the waterway, don't fertilize it so close to the waterway that it's in the waterway. Yes. And, and then Massachusetts is... Um, Pretty much the same as the others? Yep, Massachusetts is roughly the same as the others. Uh, 20 feet in, uh, from a body of water, and uh, December 1st to March 1st is the blackout dates for fertilizing your lawns right. in Massachusetts, so, so the winter time. Yeah, they don't want to fertilizing when the ground's frozen. Yes. And so different states have, have slightly different what they consider frozen ground time, I guess. Yes. So this is where I get to tell my straight bass story, Tyler. I think so. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so in, in July of 2012, they found 12 striped bass and a horseshoe crab dead on a shore in Falmouth on, on Long Pond, and, and we're going to get to those ponds with, with you, Asa, in a minute. Um, but uh, and he'll, Asa will explain why that pond instead of somewhere else in Falmouth. Uh, fortunately, the, uh, the director of the uh, Falmouth Sewage district lives right there, and he could tell the locals, that's not sewage we're smelling, that's dead, dead fish. And so they found the 12 striped bass and the horseshoe crab, and I think one other unidentified crab, so there are 14 animals in all, and they noticed that, uh, that the, the animals had swum un, under the causeway, under the road there, into the the brackish waters of the Long Pond, and they got in there, and there was no oxygen in the water because there'd been a harmful algal bloom. So the bloom analogy had eaten up all the oxygen. It may have released some toxins, but not necessary. You ain't got oxygen. You ain't got life going on there. So those guys um, were belly up on the beach, and, and the locals noticed that the lawns were stretching right down to the waterways. And so they made the connection of, yikes, we shouldn't be 
putting so much fertilizer on these lawns. Um, and so they, well, what did they do? I guess they passed some new regulations. Um, they had a town board meeting that fall after noticing all these dead fish in July. And the following July, the regulations went into effect. So Falmouth extended their blackout dates of when you can't fertilize your lawn uh, to October 16th to April 14th. So they extended a few months in each season. And they also, like you said, their lawns are going right up to these waterways. So they prohibited fertilizing within 100 feet of wetlands compared to Massachusetts' mandatory 20 feet. Give it an extra 80 feet. Yay! Yes. And then they also um, gave some regulations on how many pounds of nitrogen you should be applying per 1,000 square feet. So a single application should not exceed 0.5 pounds of nitrogen per 1,000 square feet, and your total annual application should not exceed one pound of nitrogen per 1,000 square feet. That's phenomenal because yes. the state practice is five pounds per 1,000 square feet, and Falmouth is saying one pound per 1,000 square feet. And, and that gets back to the fertilizer bag saying five times these five places. Instead, they're just saying... They are saying you could do it twice if you do half a pound an application. Mm -hmm. but they're saying you can't do more than half a pound, so you have to reduce what you normally spread. And uh, the, the thinking there is to do it in the spring or fall. Um, and uh, what we've been hearing is that if you, if you have an opportunity to choose between the two, you should fertilize in the fall, right, because of the... Oh, you tell us about the roots and stuff. To promote the root growth. So when you fertilize in the fall, um, the fertilizer goes right down into the roots and it'll help build stronger roots so that the grass is more resilient through the winter months and more stress tolerant. And then when it comes up in the spring, it has strong roots so that the grass can go stronger. Whereas if you fertilize in the spring, before, yeah, if you fertilize in the spring, what happens? Um, if you fertilize in the spring, there's more... Um, it goes to a different part of the grass? Yeah, it goes mainly towards the leaves of the grass instead of the roots, so the roots make it stronger. Great. Then you have more yeah. to do. You know, if you're in the spring, you got to get more, you have to cut the lawn maybe more often because it's more leaf or more blade growth than um, the roots. Yes. So, um, so we would recommend that you fertilize just once a year. And what's really crucial is you don't do it during the summer months when the daylight's the longest, the water is the hottest, and the algae is the hungriest for growth because it's got the, because these are plants and phytoplants, phytoplankton, that um, need sunlight, need warmth, and then need nutrients. And so if you can restrict your fertilizing to the fall, this is great. And so this is what we're trying to do at the Ocean River Institute, is take this story of what happened in uh, Falmouth with a 16-striped bass, one horseshoe crab, and one unidentified crab, to use it as an example of why, of how, you need only fertilize once a year instead of five times. And now it's three or two or three years later, and to my eyes, and, and, and Aza, you drive through Falmouth, you know, the grass seems just as green as in the adjacent towns. It isn't like you drive into an arid zone, like going to Arizona where it's all brown grass or something. Yeah, you wouldn't notice anything different. Yeah. So um, bravo to uh, Falmouth for, for doing that. Um, I'm talking with um, Aza Mendez and Sarah Timble. We're going to take a short break and come back after this break to talk more about uh, death and destruction in Falmouth and Russell's Vineyard from 
harmful algal blooms and excessive nitrogen pollution. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. We're talking about avenging the death of 16 striped bass, a horseshoe crab, and unidentified crabs that were found dead on a shore in Falmouth, and the culprit was too much nitrogen coming into the waters of Little Pond and causing the algae to bloom, and the algae ate up all the oxygen, and the fish that swam in rolled up dead. So we want to reduce how much nitrogen you put on uh, in this case, it was adjacent lawns, and so we're looking at reducing lawn fertilizers. And this is a campaign 
that uh, the Ocean River Institute is stepping up. We've been at it for some time, but we're stepping it up this summer. And for more information, uh, go to www. Ocean River. Is that enough W? I got three in there. Um, OceanRiver.org. OceanRiver.org. And you'll see our homepage there, and there are six causes. And one of them has a picture of dead bass on it, and that's the one you clip on, uh, click on. And, um, and you can follow along and get in more information. Uh, we urge you to sign up for our free e-alerts so we can send you an email when we've got some news to share. Uh, including um, information about this uh, unfolding tragedy on the shores of uh, all over the place. As Asa was saying earlier, we're having seen little dead zones all along our coastal waters from um, from northern Maine or eastern Maine to um, all the way down to the Virgin Islands and stuff. And, and uh, so it's 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 a national problem with Amer- American waters. Uh, but we're going to get really local now and talk about Wakoit Bay, which is this wonderful estuary uh, between Falmouth and Mashpee on the south side of Cape Cod, fronting Nantucket Sound across the water from Martha's Vineyard. Um, so tell us about Wakoit Bay. Uh, so Wakoit Bay is a small bay on the Cape, like you said, and it is currently very over-polluted with nitrogen. Uh, I should say so. And so the National Estuary Program has been there for uh, since the 70s, I guess, and so there's a lot of good science coming out of I've seen a lot of citizen science as well as hard science. Yeah, they've done multiple studies, and they also encourage anyone in the area to do their own tests and watch out for wildlife and track the conditions of the, the bay. And so what are they finding? How bad is it? Uh, so they're finding currently that there's uh, 90 kilograms of nitrogen entering the bay each day, and that's way more than what they need. In order to uh, reach the Clean Water Act, they're looking to bring that amount of nitrogen down to 42 kilograms per day. So they need to try and drop that by almost 50% or more. So. Wow. And you showed me a map of, uh, but no one was there, there would be like zero kilograms of nitrogen coming into the bay. It'd be it'd be a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> so even even forty five or forty two thousand kilograms forty two or forty two point three kilograms per day is um, a people's landscape. It's just more bearable for the estuary to carry yeah. that much. It allows the estuary to survive but, and and life to live in there. Mm-hmm. Because right now, there's not, it's kind of hurting in the middle. Yeah, right now, it's very hurting. They have satellite images that go back to the 50s, and they can track the eelgrass throughout the bay. And it used to be in almost every part of the bay and very flourishing, and now it's at roughly zero. There might be small patches, but it's disappeared in oh almost all areas. Yeah. Uh, eelgrass is such an... Eelgrass is completely underwater, and it's a really vital nursery for so many fish and, and uh, you know, conchs and, and marine lice that, um, and um, brant geese, I think, like eel grass. And, and it's just, we don't see brant geese down there anymore. Um, not a surprise. Uh, so you are breaking it down into different regions of Wakoi, uh, right? Yep. So some of the, the main areas of Wakoi are the Child's River, which is a big river that feeds it. 
uh, the Quashnet River, which is another river that feeds it, and then Wakoit's main bay and the eel ponds. There's a bunch of other areas of the system that feed it, but those were not only the largest, but also the most polluted areas. Yikes. So um, Childs River is, um, is, is toward the west. Yeah, it feeds the western side. And, and it reaches, you're saying it reaches all the way up to, um, goes all the way up to the uh, Air Force Base just north of Coit. Right. So stuff running off of the Air Force Base would go, there's a pond up there or something, yep. and then um, it would enter the, it could enter the river. Yep. As opposed to a lot of stuff goes through the ground on, in Falmouth because it's all sand, and so yep. it's open territory uh, for, um, for that. But the Childs River, um, how bad is the Childs River? Uh, so the Childs River, we talked about how, how much nitrogen would be flowing in if there's no people around. And in the Childs River, because of the people, it's roughly 300% more nitrogen. So over three times more nitrogen comes in because of people. And that's just because of uh, pollution from regular land use. So that's the fertilizers and the runoff from roads and things we've been talking about. And if you include all the septic systems, from the areas and towns around uh, the Childs River, it jumps all the way up to 14 and a half times what the natural nitrogen is amount. So, right. So what are these numbers? So you've got like 3.4, 3, 342%. So that oh, means... 340, no, this is kilograms per day. Yeah, so that's kilograms per day. So that yeah. means compared to the base level of nitrogen, the current pollution from land use yeah. is 342%. Oh, my gosh, because base level. Yeah. And then... Um, well, we don't even know if the base level is one kilogram per day, but... Um, well, that, that's well, we just, do. Yeah. Well, compared to this. Oh, that's compared true. to that, yeah. Oh, I see, compared to that, yeah. And then... Um, so, the, so, wait, there's, so there's two sources. One is agriculture. I mean, the, what's the first one? What so, this is land use. So, this is fertilizer and... Uh, air pollution. Stuff and on the land. And settles on, on it, and then yeah. gets washed into the river. Yeah. And whereas... The stuff that's coming out of uh, septic and sewage. And yeah, septic and sewage and sewage and the wastewater that's on the ground. That's coming into the river yeah. before the river hits Wakoit Bay yeah. is four, so it's uh, 1,448% of the natural nitrogen load. So it's over 14 times. So it's, like, yeah, so it's like, that, yeah, but compared to the uh, surface stuff, it's, the surface stuff is 342.5, and this is 1448.6. So it's, four yeah, times. four times the, um, the amount is coming out from uh, septic and sewage, um, and uh, that's not good. Yeah. And then the other river is further east. Further east, and so it's, it's closer to Mashpee. Yeah, and there's a lot more agricultural areas around there versus the main towns. And, and you can see that in the numbers here, because whereas the uh, off the surface um, in the not in a residential area was three, uh, 342, now you're going 197. Yeah, so it really, it really drops off. Not quite half, but it's significantly half, half. significantly less. And then the uh, and then in terms of septic, which is really shows you that it's not in a residential residential area. It's only 364 percent versus. Uh, 1,448%. So yeah. it really drops off compared to the... There's uh, not a lot of septic and sewage, although there's more of that than the, the, the agriculture runoff. Yep. Um, so this is consistent with the finding, I think it was in Florida that they found that 
uh, agriculture was over fertilizing by 100% and lawns were 500%. And we're seeing that here with a large number of um, surface off in the Childs River and, yeah, in the Childs River, which is residential, yeah. and less so from the surface of the uh, Washington, the agriculture areas of the Quasinet River. And then, um, and for comparison, well, quite Bay, out in the middle there, we've got the greatest dilution solution happening. Uh, what's that number? Uh, so that's uh, 163%. So it's only a little bit more than what the natural nitrogen mode is. That bay flushes a lot with the tide, and it really, I mean, it needs to be reduced, but not that much. Right, right, and that's at the end of it. But um, when you combine the sewage and septic, when you combine that with the septic, it goes up to over 300%, but it's still not, it's not much compared to things like the Child's River. No, but it is double what the uh, what the Lacoit Bay gets from the surface. Yeah, what they get from the groundwater is is uh, twice as bad. And then, um, for comparison's sake, I see you. Oh, oh, then here's Eel Pond. Yeah, so then Eel Pond, it's the area that's off the charts again. Here we go. Yeah. Eel Pond is along with the Child River. It's one of the worst places. And it's right along where some of the larger residential areas are. Yeah, it was cool. You were showing us the map, and we could see Laquite Bay, and then to the west or left of Laquite Bay. Well, Laquite Bay is closed off by essentially like an island that's yeah. undeveloped. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the Pond, Eel yeah. Pond separates the island from yeah. residents. Is what looks to us on Map Google as the most densely settled piece of property on Laquite Bay. Yep. And surprise, surprise, that is second only to that the Child's River for, um, well, in terms of the runoff from the land, it's second only to the uh, Child's River. Right? I mean, it's more yeah. than the Child's River. It's at 513%. Oh, right. uh, so it's much bigger than that. And then uh, compared to the Child's River in terms of septic pollution, it's at over 2,000%. So it's really, it's not... Double, but it's a lot bigger than the Child's River. It's by far the most polluted. And that's remarkable yeah. because the Child's River is is pretty long. I mean, it goes up almost a sandwich. Yeah. And the amount of uh, kilograms per day of nitrogen entering that stretch of river is uh, like three fifths of what uh, is entering a shorter stretch of just that. Um, what's yeah. that? The western shore of Eel Pond, where yeah. the residents are is getting a whole lot more nitrogen. Yeah. yeah, just one area of Eel Pond gets more nitrogen than the whole uh, Child's River. So. And again, you see the same numbers reflected in, um, in both surface and, and, and then septic. and then septic coming through the, the groundwater, um, where the Child's River is 1,400-something. Uh, this is 2,000. Yeah, and it, this really shows with the study which recommended that they needed uh, to reduce the nitrogen uh, like we said earlier, by over 50%. And the majority of this nitrogen, excess nitrogen, is coming from the wastewater. 60 to 85% of it is wastewater, which is all manageable from what you're putting in lawns and what's coming out of the septic tanks. So the wastewater is septic, sewage, lawns. Yeah. It's every, um, wastewater is not agriculture. Yeah, it's the things that you can control. Right that aren't agricultural. Yeah, or, or atmospheric. Or it does not include atmosphere. Right, so, right, yeah. Because the atmospheric fallout can be picked up in the Laquite numbers and yeah. all the numbers, but mm -hmm. certainly Laquite Bay with so much surface, it's yeah. going to pick up a lot of that. Um, 
So then we were looking at the um, maps Google there, and you could see um, Wakoit Bay, and then going west was uh, Eel Pond, and then going further west was Great Bay, and then further was Little Pond. Yep. And Little Pond is called Little because it's smaller than yeah, the rest. It's much smaller. But it's got dense um, build-out on both sides of it, unlike Eel Pond. It has got, you know, the most people... Well, I don't know if it's the most per, yeah. per area because it's not it's smaller, too. It's less shoreline. But it has the least, compared to the, the bigger ones, it has less exchange with the ocean, with the yeah. Nantucket Sound. And so that was the, the place that went hypoxic where the 16-striped bass died. And you can see that that should be the place because it's got the most houses per water body um, around it or something. Yeah, it's, it's right close to the downtown or the central area of Falmouth. So it has a lot of residential neighborhoods all around it. And then even the neighborhoods that aren't directly bordering it, they stretch out. So it, it gets a lot. So, yeah, so Falmouth is really ground zero for lawns interacting with estuaries and the ocean in Massachusetts. There's no other town that has so much estuaries and so much... Um, these great these ponds yeah. um, interacting. And if you add all their shorelines, that's a lot of coastline that mm -hmm. you've got a little Falmouth there. And so they are doing more than anyone else is to protect uh, their water. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll yes. be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. 
www.donatethenumber4oceans.org. That is www.donatethenumber4oceans.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking about cleaning up the ocean waters, starting by reducing the amount of nitrogen that goes into the waters. And Sarah Timble and Aza Gray are with me today. Uh, Aza uh, Magden, uh, you're not the great Harvard bio- uh, botanist, Aza Gray. So we were talking about um, the amount of nitrogen that's coming off the land and going into the rivers and into Eel Pond and ending up in Laquite Bay. And um, I'm reading over Aza's shoulder here, and he kept saying, and he's got written in parentheses, kilograms per day. So what I thought were numbers of kilograms per day, like 513 kilograms a day are going into the Yale River. Well, if that happened, we could walk across the river on top of the nitrogen that had accumulated in a couple of months, I think. <laughs> so, so help us out again. Uh, so... In, the numbers that we were talking about, the 500 and the 20,000 and the 14,000, uh, or, or not 20,000, 2,000 and 1,400, they weren't the amount of kilograms. They were the ratio between what nitrogen is without people, the kind of natural amount in the environment, and the amount people are putting in either through their septic systems or land use. So it's basically of all the nitrogen in the environment, uh, 300 there are three times as much as coming in from people's land use versus the natural amount. So that's the way to look at it instead of the actual kilograms. Right. So the Childs River, which was the worst, is what? The Childs River is sending in, it's basically three and a half times as much nitrogen as the natural amount. The natural amount. And, to, and that's off the land. Right. And that's off the land. So and, then, and then this, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So in actual kilograms per day, that's two kilograms per day but then the natural land isn't even giving off half a kilogram per day. So that's how... That's why it's three times. That's why right. it's three times. And then the uh, Child's River is also getting from groundwater. It's, so it's also getting from groundwater uh, over 14 times as much. Like 14.5 times as much. So it's getting... That's a lot. Oh, it's getting almost 10 kilograms per day from groundwater, where it's the same amount from the natural watershed land, only half a kilogram, if that. All right, so we don't want to alarm to you too much. Yeah. Um, I, I still think twice about swimming in the Eel Pond. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's compare it to um, across the waters, across Nantucket Town, or Vineyard Town, is uh, Tisbury Great Pond, on the other side of Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Uh, it's on the south shore of the vineyard, just the way Wacoit is on the south side of... Um, Kate, Kate, thank you. 
Uh, so Tisbury Great Pond, it was another pond that was done in the same study that we've been looking at. And it also has too much nitrogen pollution, but it's a significantly different story than uh, the, the other bay and a lot of the other places that the study looked at. How do they compare in size? Uh, so uh, in size, uh, Tisbury Great Pond is a little bit smaller, but not by uh, much. Um, so McCoy Bay is about 825 acres of water, and Tisbury Great Pond ranges from 660 to 800 acres. Uh, it's probably normally around 700, somewhere like that. That about splits the difference. Uh, so yeah. it is smaller, but it's not that much smaller. No, so it's a good comparison. Uh, yes, it, it definitely is. Uh, one of the biggest differences between Tisbury and McCoy is the amount of residential settlement around the bay and around the pond. In Tisbury, it's next to West Tisbury and Chilmark, which are two very sparsely populated towns on the vineyard, and the amount of residential areas around it are significantly less. Mm. Uh, especially when looking at Google Maps or Google Earth, uh, how you can see by Recoit, you can see the residential areas with their lawns kind of set up like a typical suburb. In Falmouth, you're right. Yeah, in Falmouth. In Tisbury, sparse houses spread out throughout the woods, protected watersheds, and one town center, which is a very small town center, having driven through it multiple times at the north side of the pond. So You don't see a lot of lawns. <clears throat> no, there's certainly lawns on the vineyard, but not the same way you see in Falmouth with the perfectly manicured lawn that is like the perfect square that stretches down to the water. Right, and not in Tisbury or Tisbury. Yeah, uh, no, definitely not around the water. Yeah, you don't see it. Don't see it. So, what are you getting for numbers or percentages? I mean, yeah. So, for percentages, the uh, Tisbury Great Pond as a whole is actually the amount of uh, nitrogen coming in from people's land use is actually only sixty percent of the amount of nitrogen coming in from the watershed. So, wow. there's actually more coming in from the natural watershed than there is from land use, and we see that number the same with sewage, but to an even lesser degree. It's only 35% of the natural use. So <clears throat> it's a big difference. You're still getting uh, pollution, but you're not getting it on the scale that you are in Wakoit uh, Bay. And so what are they, what's the government rates asking of Clean Water Act asking of them? Uh, so they're asking to reduce the nitrogen levels by 19%. So as we can see from other numbers, it's significantly less than the over 50% asking. And to give you a perspective on the amount of nitrogen that is, in Lacoit, we saw that they had over 90 kilograms per day uh, going into the entire bay system, where in the Tisbury Great Pond, you have only 45. Oh, that's great. We're going to cut you short because I want to get back to Sarah. Yeah. But, um, right, so we're seeing that... Um, in better oh, shape. It's in, oh, and you see more eelgrass, you said. Yeah, you, de you don't see a lot in Tisbury Great Pond, but that's just because it naturally doesn't have as much. Compared to historical figures, it's decreased, but not to the extent that... Um, the way has got like yeah. almost none. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you, Hazer. That's great. Um, Sarah, so what is Falmouth doing to improve nitrogen pollution problems they got? Well, Falmouth is <clears throat> working with the Buzzard Bay Coalition which is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to improving the, the health of the Bay ecosystem through uh, education of the youth and the adult research and advocacy. They work all throughout the Buzzard Bay and Vineyard Sound watershed. 
They've been doing some great things. Uh, very recently, actually, a few days ago, they had their 23rd annual Buzzard Bay Swim. <laughs> <laughs> so more than 200 people swam across the New Bedford Harbor to raise money to support the coalitions to pr- uh, the work to protect clean water, conserve land uh, across Buzzards Bay, and they were able to raise over $120,000, which is very impressive. <laughs> and, and then um, you were telling me they're doing some work up in Wareham. Yep. So in 2013, Wareham passed some new regulations to reduce any new sources of nitrogen pollution. They passed some pretty strict regulations, such as any new septic systems installed within 500 feet of a waterway must be a nitrogen-reducing system, and no new septic systems were allowed to be installed within 150 feet of a waterway. It's been regarded as one of the best wastewater treatment facilities in the region for treating nitrogen and one of the first kinds in Buzzards Bay. Which is a and, great and Wareham is up at the head of Buzzards Bay, you know, the Cape Cod Canal, and you were saying that they're coordinating with the Mass Maritime Yeah, so they're coordinating with uh, the Massachusetts Maritime Academy, Plymouth, and Bourne, because currently Wareham Sewer Plant discharges its treated sewage into the Agawam, and they're proposing moving the sewage pipe from Agawam to a location at the Maritime Academy, so all three towns can expand their sewer lines to neighborhoods that are currently served by septic systems, these new sewer lines will treat for nitrogen and save money on wastewater costs in the future. Bravo. Yes. And uh, the EPA actually gave a grant to Falmouth in 2014 to start offering subsidies to homeowners Ooh. to upgrade their septic systems along the West Falmouth Harbor to nitrogen-reducing septic tanks or cesspools or an eco-toilet. Yeah, that's in Buzzards Bay, so that's, that's really good that they're... EPA is helping landowners in Falmouth um, clean up their septic and sewage. And then there's also some monitoring going on in Buzzards Bay? Yeah, so since 2006, they placed a central bay buoy a little south of West Island that's been recording the total nitrogen, dissolved oxygen, algae pigments, and water clarity. And based on a five-year average, the Bay Health Index is 89 out of 100. Yeah, every bit helps, and, and it's... So that, that's a good index reading? or That's a good index yeah. reading. Definitely um, the nitrogen and is decreasing and the water clarity is getting clearer based on this five-year index. Yay. So, all good things. So we've got our... They're recording it. Yeah. So we've got our work cut out here for the Ocean River Institute, and it's very exciting. This summer we have four college students coming on as interns, and... Um, I'll introduce you to the next two, uh, hopefully next time, because uh, they're not with us right now. And um, so what we're doing is we're they're doing a local, we're listening locally. We're finding out what the local stories are, the local situation for Falmouth, and then in comparison, um, the vineyard. And um, Tiana's looking at um, inland lakes and, and freshwater systems. Uh, and, and so we're figuring out what's going on locally. We're going to uh, be meeting with the uh, Buzzards Bay Coalition and with the Buzzards Bay National Estuary Program. They're both located down on the bay there, so um, we're going to combine forces and, and learn from both of them. We're also meeting and working with the Massachusetts Lobstermen Association and the striped bass fishermen, both commercial and recreational, uh, because we want to bring to the other municipalities, there's 351 municipalities in Massachusetts, and Falmouth is one. So the other 350, uh, we want to bring uh, this urgency of not over-fertilizing your lawn. What you do on your property can affect 
life beyond lawns. That's our um, Dropbox file. We've got life beyond lawns. Um, so um, we want people to understand that they can really affect um, marine life and aquatic life, and, and it, it's simply by reducing how much fertilizer they buy and put on their lawns or pay to have spread on their lawns uh, does make a difference. And so we're going to try to document how it makes a difference, not just in the sliminess of them in the water, but also um, for the life of, of uh, striped bass and the life of lobstermen themselves. And we'll explain, as I have in a past program with the Lobstermen Association, look that up, um, the, the, the hardship is more on the lobstermen than the lobsters. They're pretty happy with lots of nutrients, but, the, um, but not so the striped bass. They, they are really suffering when the ocean goes sour like this. Uh, we're also going to be working with a mass estuary program at the Department of Environmental Protection and with local communities. So this is we're beginning locally with Falmouth, and we're going to be spreading out to, to other communities uh, through the summer into the fall. Um, so we would welcome people to join with us in getting the word out and helping how to act locally to save um, striped bass and lobstermen regionally. Uh, and, you know, so please uh, visit our website, oceanriver.org, and sign up for our uh, free e-alerts. Uh, we only put them out when we have something to say. So it could be twice a month. Uh, I think in this month we haven't put any out, and as we're getting our voices together. Uh, if you don't like what we're saying, you can automatically, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of the uh, e-alert. And, um, yeah, so we've got some work ahead of us. Um, so how's it been, Sarah, for this first week of uh, putting this, our stuff together? Do you think we're going to get somewhere? I hope so. I think we're definitely going to get somewhere. I think based on the results in Falmouth, their lawns are just as green and they're only fertilizing once or twice a year. So I think that's a good start and I think it's a good example for the rest of Massachusetts. And Asa, what have you been learning with all this in-depth of these areas? Uh, so I've been learning a lot. I know a lot more about lake compositions than I thought I would after a few days. It's also been interesting looking at these different areas there's some other places on the vineyard and elsewhere that have already taken steps like Thalmouth to try and uh, reduce things, uh, reduce nitrogen and other things going into their lakes. So I think there's plenty of room to make good progress. Right. And this is what we're going to be doing is trying to learn the local stories because lots of other communities are taking action in their own way. Um, I think, Sarah, you were mentioning Mashby doing something. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, then, and then Tiana signing... Um, Freshwater places, and of course, you're aware of stuff on the vineyard and where else, like Cashmoon. Oh, like Cashmoon on the vineyard. On yeah. the vineyard. Yep. They actually just recently have had a couple town meetings about uh, new proposed nitrogen uh, legislation that would limit it from all new development in Tisbury, which is one of the big towns. Yes. So. Well, we're very interested. If listeners know of things that are happening in Massachusetts towns in particular, you know, you don't have to be in Massachusetts. You know of something. If you're summering or vacationing and see something, let us know. Um, it's, uh, the email is info, I-N-F-O, at oceanriver.org. Um, or you can email me directly, and that, that email address has been given out as well. But uh, the info ones, uh, Asa and Sarah can see if I'm preoccupied with something else. <laughs> uh, also, if, if you have a good um, harmful algal bloom, 
a nitrogen pollution story uh, in your community, uh, you'd like us to share it with others, uh, please send it along because, um, you know, a good tale really makes a difference in giving people the courage to change. Change is always something that we resist doing, and it's kind of frightening risking your lawn by fertilizing less often, and we need to know why should we take those risks. Wow, we have managed to go through another episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. I want to thank Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Asa. Thank you for having me as well. And you'll be hearing more from all of us. And for all of you, thanks for listening. Please take care of yourselves and try to take care of the environment. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова